Hey everyone, Andrew Claven here. Daily Wire backstage impeach this has finally arrived. So you can stave off a bit of the Clavenless weekend and listen to me, Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, and the Daily Wire God King himself, Jeremy Boring, discuss everything there is to know about Adam Schiff's newest stage play, otherwise known as the Trump impeachment hearings. Take a listen and get an extra dose of Claveny goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Daily Wire backstage. Impeach this. I'm Jeremy Boring, known around here as Jeremy Boring. That's with a lowercase j and a lowercase b. We're glad you've tuned in. Well, thank you, everybody, for being here. And thank you especially to the teleprompter operator who has not rolled the teleprompter. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> now, for those of you at home, you may think they don't have real ideas. See, their lines are being fed to them by billionaires who are trying to influence our election. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so thank you guys for tuning in. Is this the end of the Trump presidency? Do the Democrats have the goods? Or is it just Russian collusion round two? Will we ever find out? How many whistleblowers it takes to screw in a light bulb? Answer! Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> Joining me to speculate on all of that and more, Ben Shapiro, Andrew Clavin, Michael Knowles, and the lovely, we always say that she's lovely, sometimes I think it's patronizing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, wow. But she is so... I hadn't thought of that. But she is lovely. Elisha <laughs> yeah. Krause, joining us via satellite from wherever it is that they keep her. We'll be taking questions uh, from... That was, that was a little patronizing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be taking questions from you, the people. By way of Elisha, if you go over to dailywire.com slash subscribe, become a subscriber, support us. We need the support. We need the support in particular because as we move closer and closer to the election, uh, the pressure on advertisers to uh, remove their content from our shows, this isn't just us, it's everyone involved in conservative media, uh, is so immense. Uh, also, for the platforms, when you have candidates like Elizabeth Warren flat out saying she's going to break up the big tech platforms, basically, if I, I, I'm actually not sure what the quid pro quo here is. It's, <laughs> if I become president, I will break you up for helping the other guy become president. <laughs> it makes no sense to me. Nevertheless, they're all under a lot of pressure, and the only way that we can stay on the air and keep bringing you the content that you... I mean, do they so want So richly it? deserve. Do they deserve. want <laughs> the content you deserve? <laughs> is if you uh, become a subscriber, and we are running a special right now. Uh, did you guys see this? It's actually pretty hilarious. Elizabeth Warren, uh, who may actually become president mm -hmm. of the United States, uh, decided that one thing that she, that Joe Biden had, that she didn't have, was, you know, accusations of plagiarism and, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, property. Yeah. and so she released a billionaire tears mug on Shopify in as though all of America does not know that the market mm -hmm. on tears coffee vessels has been filled by the Daily Wire, leftist tears, hot or cold tumbler. You can get yours right now. Go over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. If you use the promo code warranteers, that's one word, warranteers, you will get 20% off of our Insider Plus and all access membership packages. And most of all, uh, you will help keep us in fancy watches and fine cigars. Thank you for being here. We're going to talk about some politics. Oh, wait, they already rolled the opening graphic. They did. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, 
I had a whole list of things that would be fun to talk about. And then I thought, well, there's one thing that won't be fun to talk about, but will actually be the only thing that anyone in America cares about, mm -hmm. and that's impeachment. Right. So we just have to do it. Right? Okay, so let's do this thing. So For day two. Yeah, day two. So the public hearing started yesterday. Mm -hmm. It's everybody recognizes that this is all a made-for-TV special that they actually have presented no inf no new information, nor will they pro provide any no new information. It's it, like the New York Times actually had their TV critic write a review <laughs> of the coverage yesterday. Yeah, like they're, they're full-on TV critic. Uh, one of their columnists was talking about it was a news columnist. It wasn't even like an analysis columnist. Was talking about the reassuring gray hair of Bill Taylor. And I thought to myself, that is the first time I've ever heard gray hair described as reassuring. Usually, it forecasts death. But sorry, Jeremy. But, but the fact is that you know the, the 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 left is so obsessed with the idea that somehow something has changed here mm -hmm. that they're going to just pretend that something has changed. Now, obviously, as we all know, nothing has actually changed here. If they didn't have the goods before, they don't have the goods now. If they did have the goods before, they have the goods now. You know, my inclination is that they certainly do not have the goods. And the biggest hole in the testimony yesterday, because two people testified, Charged Affair Bill Taylor, who is the highest ranking American official in Ukraine, as well as uh, as Kent, George Kent, who's the Undersecretary of State, who's dealing with Ukrainian affairs. They both testified. And the Republicans kept hammering home the only point that really matters. And that point is, you guys have never even talked to Trump. Right? <laughs> you, like, don't saying know this, Trump. you don't know Trump. Right? I mean, you guys are playing seven degrees of Kevin Bacon with the President of the United States while attempting to impeach the President of the United States. And the only reason that that would not be a, a dispositive argument, really, is because there are some people who have directly talked to Trump who have not talked yet, right? The only testimony that's going to matter, if you actually think that any of it matters, which I tend not to at this point, but if you actually think any of it matters, the testimony that you're waiting for is Gordon Sundland, who's t who, who's go who actually spoke with Trump, had conversations with Trump, has switched his testimony already, right? He is testifying next Wednesday. And then there are a bunch of people who are sort of on deck who are who have been subpoenaed but have not responded to the subpoena uh, and, and have filed lawsuits. And that would be John Bolton and Mick Mulvaney uh, and Rudy Giuliani. Those three, because... If, if you haven't talked to Trump, you basically don't matter in this conversation because the entire conversation is about motive, right? This is the, I'm the only one who's been saying this for months. There, there's the whole group of people who've been saying, well, the call was absolutely perfect, perfect. Okay, it wasn't perfect. Can we just stop with this? It wasn't a perfect call because, come on, it wasn't, like, that's not what Trump does, okay? Perfect is not in Trump's wheelhouse. He doesn't right? even aim at perfect. Right, that, that's, <laughs> that, that's right. It's just perfect is a description of everything that he thinks he does, but... What is obviously the most plausible explanation of all of his behavior, and this is the case I've been making for a, a long time, is that when he says to Ukraine in that phone call that what he would like as a favor is investigations into Burisma and Biden, he would like investigations into CrowdStrike, he would like investigations into Ukrainian interference in the 2016 election, that he's just naming a bunch of crap that he thinks about Ukraine because people have been feeding him information about Ukraine, and this is the way the president's brain works. He basically has a bunch of note cards, mm -hmm. and the note cards have seven words on them each, and if you, if you give him a topic, if you say global warming, then what comes out is destroy economy Chinese hoax. And if you say to him, Ukraine, the first thing that comes out to him is interfered in the 2016 election, Burisma, Hillary Clinton, crowd strike, right? It's just whatever comes out of his head. And so it is quite plausible. I think it is, in fact, the most plausible explanation that if he was thinking, I don't feel like giving aid to Ukraine because who else is paying for this aid? Only we're paying for the aid. I'm not interested. Also, People keep saying Ukrainian corruption. Well, when I think of Ukrainian corruption, here are some things that I think about. Mm -hmm. well, and then it just comes out. I think this is actually really important because it, we, I, think we, I think we all agree. I can't speak for Michael and Drew. Uh, <laughs> I think we all agree that if, if we had listened to the phone call between Donald Trump and, and the Ukrainian president, and he had said, uh, we're going to help you out. The Europeans should be doing more. But, you know, but first, we need a favor. 
I've been trying to get a hotel in downtown Kiev for like 22 years, and you guys are so corrupt that I can't get my permit. Uh, could you get on the phone with my personal lawyer and my daughter and get that worked out for me? I think we would all agree, definitely an abuse of presidential power. I would Def be willing to call it an abuse of power. <laughs> definitely. Yes, I would. I would. Definitely an abuse of presidential power. Now, he did say, I want a favor. He used that word. And he did say, talk to my personal attorney. And he did say, uh, uh, in the list of things that he rattles Joe off, right. Joe Biden, something in which he has a, a personal vested interest. The, ca the, the, the mitigating factor is Donald Trump. The way that I see it, Donald Trump is not a guy with a grand strategy. He has some big ideas that he generally points himself toward winning, uh, <laughs> sort building of big not things. losing, really big thing, not losing, an isolationist, generally an isolationist foreign policy. Uh, these are things that we know that he generally cares about and he generally still steers in the direction of. But electoral strategy, there were casting notices for Trump TV going out the night of the election. Donald Trump does not have, he's never, in, I think, in his, in his 40 years of public life, demonstrated that kind of strategy. What he has demonstrated is that he spends a lot of time looking back uh, with a sort of vindictive spirit. You say that he has, a, a reporter once reported that he had very small hands. Decades later, Donald Trump would still send that reporter signed photographs of his hands to demonstrate how perfectly large uh, they are. If somebody insults him, he never lets go of the insult. Ten years later, he'll be on Twitter fighting the feuds that With existed before Twitter yeah, exactly. even existed, right? So, if Donald Trump believes that there was corruption, that that corruption targeted him personally in 2016, that is something that's going to be very hard for Donald Trump to let go of. He's a dog with a bone when it comes to a vendetta. The problem is, even if he weren't a dog with a bone, and even if it wasn't a vendetta... If Ukrainians involved, were involved, even if they weren't, but he has reason to believe that they were involved right. in circumventing the, the 2016 election, that's a legitimate concern for the president of the United of course. States. And, you know, yesterday during the testimony of these two big witnesses that the Democrats were so excited to bring, George Kent and Gordon, or not Gordon Sondland, and, Bill, and Taylor. Bill Taylor, and George Kent was asked, is it legitimate for the president of the United States in regard to Ukraine policy mm -hmm. to ask them to investigate this sort of corruption? And George Kent said, absolutely it is. They asked Bill Taylor, do you have evidence of this quid pro quo? Do you have any firsthand account? He said, nope. I spoke to Gordon Sondland. He said, I got the quid pro quo wrong and I don't have any firsthand evidence. It's that pretense. It's all this right. pretense because the fancy people in suits and ties are going to go on TV like they did on CBS News and say this was devastating testimony today. <laughs> Anybody who watched saw it was devastating for Adam Schiff, not <laughs> yeah. for Donald Trump. This is, but this is the thing that bothers me about this whole thing. I, I, at this point, I actually believe the left uses absurdity as a strategy. Because if you say, if, if, I, have a kind of, if I say, well, m men and women are the same, and you say, well, wait, here's the science, we can have an argument about that. It may be a stupid thing to say, but at least we can have an argument about it. But if I say to you, a man menstruates, even talking about it <laughs> elevates it beyond <laughs> the, the level right. of stupidity they're at. I feel that way about this impeachment. I go on, I have to talk about it, it's the news. We all have to talk about yeah. it, it's the news. I feel that even talking about it is elevating it above its seriousness. I, the the idea that this is an impeachable offense, an, an offense that actually somehow threatens the polity, that threatens the Constitution, that e even if even if you're sitting there going, I'm going to get that Joe Biden because I'm really afraid of a guy whose teeth falls out every whose time. Whose eyes he talks, explode and eyes, during his debates. Eyes explode. 
I just think this whole thing, they have been calling for impeachment since before he yep. even won the election. They were talking about an insurance policy against him. They were talking about impeachment the minute it started. They, they came up. I mean, it is kind of like uh, what uh, Devin Nunes said. They come out with a, a strategy. It's Russian collusion. It's not Russian collusion. Uh, it's obstruction of justice. It's not obstruction of justice. Uh, it's Ukraine. You know, it's like it's going to be his pants size. And then, well, it was say, his pants size with Stormy Daniels, and then, <laughs> which was. And then, as you say, as you say, they go on and they do this ridiculous stuff. And Nora O'Donnell, who has got to be one of the worst personalities on television, takes this fake action stance. You, have you watched ba -ba 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 the way she does? She stands like this, and she says, "It was devastating. The walls are closing in. It's the end of the beginning. It's the beginning of the end. It's explosive. It's like, you know." And you go like, "What the?" Hell, she even said, she even said, if you're bored, you were just not paying attention. I thought, no, I actually know when I'm bored. <laughs> I don't need you to tell me how to feel. So I just feel like even we have to talk about it. It's obviously it's the news. But I feel this thing is absurd. I feel it is completely staged. It's completely meaningless that we know who Donald Trump is. We know he says these things. You know, you know, I, I don't, I don't agree with you guys. I don't agree with you guys about Trump. I think he's a smart guy with a strategy. But but. I used that, to think you were a smart guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, that ended right now. Uh, but, but he's a big mouth, and he says things, and he talks off the but cuff. But this would actually be his best strategy, right? Would be for him to say, yeah, I'm a big mouth, and I say things. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, like, if yeah. you just said that, everybody would be like, all right, oh, yeah. fair. Yeah, fair. It, I, I really feel like one, one of the things that he does is, is one of the critical sins that many presidents commit, which is overselling. And so you'll you'll hear presidents say Trump? things like, yeah, yeah. right. No, but, but Trump is is gifted at this. Right? I mean, what you'll hear presidents say is, we're going to aim for four percent GDP growth, and then it comes in at like three point six percent GDP growth, and everybody's like, oh well, he fell short of expectation. That was a really solid GDP growth, right? right. What if he just pitched three? Right? Why don't you undersell? This is actually Clinton was very good at this. Clinton would actually undersell, and then if it slightly surpassed expectations, it was a huge win for him. Well, Trump, because he's constantly overselling, instead of him just saying. Look, I say things, right? I go in, I'm on a phone call. I say things. I'm not corrupt. We all, right? If you just said that, we'd all be like, all right. But you instead, know, actually, it was the perfect, most unbelievable phone. And, and now you've got Congress people who are in the unenviable position right. of having to explain why this phone call was perfect, as opposed to just saying what all the rest of us are saying, which is, yeah, dude says stuff. Right. And he really didn't do anything wrong. This is like, it's, not, the, it's not great. I, but, but like, this he, is part of the Trump peculiarity, is that he does talk like a North Korean dictator. And it, <laughs> and it does cause his supporters to then have to either say things that are going to put them at odds with him or say things that make them sound patently absurd. I actually thought that our friend Dennis Prager uh, did a terrific job on, on his appearance on Bill Maher last week yeah. when, when they, Bill Maher brought up some of these things that President Trump has said, like, he's, I can't remember the quote, his glorious mind and all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Prager was like, I mean, I don't know if he said that. Did he say that? Yeah, he said that. Well, of course, that's silly. I thought, well, yeah, that is how no, you have right, to right. that is how you have to react to Donald Trump. Before we talk more about this, I mentioned at the top of the show that we need your subscriptions, and we do. Dailywire.com/slash/subscribe. In fact, we're going to be taking questions uh, from our members here in just a minute. But I also said that some of our advertisers abandon us, in particular, uh, in hard times. One of the advertisers who not only has never abandoned us, has never threatened to abandon us, and I dare say never will abandon us unless we just stop delivering for them, in which case that's not abandoning, that's doing business. Right. Uh, these guys have had our back since the day we met them, and they produce an unbelievable product. 
And that's our pals over at Bravo Company Manufacturing. Let us talk about the studly gentle people over <laughs> at Bravo Company. When the founders crafted the Constitution, the first thing they did was to make sacred the rights of the individual, to share their ideas without limitation by government, which is the First Amendment. And then they crafted an even more important amendment, the Second Amendment, because without the Second Amendment, there ain't no First Amendment. And this is why I'm a gunner. It's why everybody in this room is a gun owner. Owning a rifle is an awesome responsibility, and building rifles is no different. Started in a garage by a Marine veteran more than two decades ago, Bravo Company Manufacturing, BCM for short, builds a professional grade product built to combat standards. Bravo Company Manufacturing is not a sporting arms company, which is great for me because I don't do sporting. Mm -hmm. All I really do is if somebody comes on my property trying to hurt my family, then I want to be able to shoot them. They design, engineer, and manufacture life-saving equipment, which is the stuff I care about. The people at BCM assume when a rifle leaves their shop that it'll be used in a life or death situation by a responsible citizen, a law enforcement officer, or a soldier overseas. To learn more about the awesome fellows and females over at Bravo Company Manufacturing, head on over to bravocompanymfg.com. You can discover more about their products, special offers, upcoming news. They are indeed studly gentle people. That is bravocompanymfg.com. If you need more convincing, go check them out at YouTube. They make videos that are better than ours, frankly. YouTube.com oh, so slash bravocompanyusa. Again, that's bravocompanymfg.com. Is it fellows and Fellas? I know, that's what I was, I was straining there for a second. I was like, what is the equivalent here? You're the linguist. It's and very gals, difficult because a fella is also a guy. It's very, yeah. they've, they've anticipated transgenderism. Maybe Trump really is as smart as Andrew thinks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, w w with all of this said, I, none of this is going to have any major impact on Trump. No. Which, which leads me to believe that the Democratic proclamations that they're going to try and move as fast on this thing as possible are just a lie. I don't think that's right. I think it's the Democrats are, are right. Exactly. That's I think that it, they're looking at this field and they're thinking, OK, what we what we need to do is avoid talking about these right. because this field is just <laughs> sheer effing garbage. I mean, and it is it yeah. is garbage it's top garbage. to bottom. Yeah. You've got Joe Biden who is not even alive. He's not a living human being, right? They've, they've dug up a corpse and they've called it Joe Biden and they wheel it around and every so Joe often- Joe Biden is the bottom at the top. It, 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 every like, so often, his every so often his jaw falls open and sound comes out. And that's and that's, and that, that's Joe Biden's candidacy and that guy's your front runner. Listen, and then two you, years from now, we're gonna be sitting here doing this show and Drew's gonna say, I think you guys are wrong about Biden. <laughs> <laughs> He's very much alive. He might be alive. Yeah, exactly. He might be, he might be alive. And then yeah. you've got our good friend Elizabeth Warren. Mm. And Elizabeth Warren is, I mean, the more you see her, the more you dislike her. That's I mean, right. she, she, it's amazing because she started off and everybody's like, yeah, she's terrible. And then they're like, second look at Elizabeth Warren. And the media were obsessed with Elizabeth oh, Warren. Yeah. Every yeah. plan, everything she said, it's genius. It's brilliant. She went to Harvard Law and she was a professor. Sure, she earned it by proclaiming that she was a Native American, <laughs> but she's a professor. And by the way, don't believe all the hype when they say, oh, well, Harvard Law never looked at that. Really? Then why was she putting it on her application? Okay, why was like, Harvard putting out press releases about it? Correct. Right. I mean, it's all, it's all nonsense. So she is, But it was all just glowing media coverage. And then people get a load of her and they're like, oh, my God, she is awful. And this war on billionaires thing. By the way, like they, they say that all oh, this plays because the vast majority of the American people are for the wealth tax. Right. Because anytime you say to somebody, how would you like if we just took somebody richer's money from them and then gave it to you? How do you think that's going to pull? I mean, obviously, that's going to pull <laughs> but you know, generally well. But Dan Henninger in the journal wrote a really interesting piece where he said she may have actually destroyed the left because Bernie Sanders is smart enough to never say what anything's going to cost right. or what he's actually going to do, where she did put out a detailed plan of her health plan and everybody looked at it. Even the left looked at it. And they oh, laughed at it. Uh-oh. Well, it's, it's <laughs> well, laughable because yeah, she, she literally just falsified the numbers. I mean, yeah, she, she yeah. claimed that she was going to take a 
plan that by every estimate costs over $30 trillion over 10 years and make it cost $20, million, $20 trillion over 10 years. She was going to double count all of the taxation that she had already declared was going for other purposes. She was going to triple the wealth tax, not 2%, but 6%. By the way, can we talk for a second about this wealth tax nonsense? Because people do not understand what a wealth tax is. They do not. They oh, think yeah. that this is just an increase in the income tax. They think this is bullshit. Okay, like, <laughs> pardon the language, but it's bullshit. Okay, wealth tax is the, one of the worst ideas ever created by the human mind. Okay, it's basically the equivalent of an estate tax. So when you die, the government, because they're terrible, they decide that they're going to step over your corpse, pry open your safe, take all the money you've already paid taxes on, and then steal it from you so that you can't give it to your children, which, was, of course, was the entire purpose of you earning money over the course of your lifetime. The estate tax is patently evil. Okay, so now... But it's not just that they pry open the safe. They then assess the value of every piece of property that you own, including your business interests and your stocks. And then they take 40% of that if you haven't been smart enough to get a living trust. Folks, go check out a living trust at LegalZoom.com <laughs> today. Right, right. Make it happen right now. Do not give that money to the damned federal government. But you, okay, know, so. you, you know what's especially stupid about this wealth tax is she says she's only going to go after the billionaires. It's a familiar right. storyline. There are about 621 billionaires in the United States. Their combined wealth, not their income, their wealth, the money that they have, is a little over $3 trillion. And I'm actually being generous here with my estimates. If you took every single penny they had, you took the shirt off their back, you left them destitute, you would not pay a tiny fraction of this plan, which is it 20 trillion? Is it 30 trillion? The whole plan is 52 trillion. You pay for one year you worth of her plan. Or less, or less than one year. Right. What do you do then? But to get back to the details of what a wealth tax is, so people understand how evil a wealth tax is, a wealth tax requires the government and you to assess the value of everything that you own every single year and then take a percentage off the top of that. So when she says 2% of your wealth, okay, let's take an example. We have a business here at Daily Wire. The business earns money. We have to assess the value of the business. We have so to let's add up say the leftist tears, tumblers, the grapes, <laughs> the lights, the cameras. And I'll tell you who this. I'll tell you who this. I'll tell you this. Absolutely, f's. The person, the people at absolutely f's are the business owners. Because if you own a business, let's say that you own a business for the sake of argument, and the business, so the 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 wealth tax is supposed to kick in at fifty million dollars, is what she says now, right? That as soon as you get to fifty million dollars, every dollar above that, and you're going to start paying into into this this routine. Okay, so let's say that you have a, a business and the business is worth $50 million. But what that actually means is that the business is being valued by three times its gross, basically. So let's say that right. the business makes $17 million this year and you, being a good boss, you're only paying yourself half a million dollars, right? The, all the rest of it goes to expenses, all of the rest goes to costs, all of the rest goes to employees. So you're paying yourself half a million dollars and it's a, and it's a $17 million a year business. But it's valued at $50 million because it's using three times gross to value the business. That means okay. that your net worth you make half a million dollars right. a year. But it means that you will be paying one per, 2% of $50 million. Mm -hmm. You'll be paying $1 million in taxes and on an income of $500,000 a year. Ben, it's even so, worse than that. It means, because it's not like that money even is sitting in the bank. You're not paying yourself half a million dollars and, and then leaving just $20 million right. dollars in the bank. This is right. What this means is you will have to liquidate assets in order to pay the tax. Correct. People think of these Silicon Valley billionaires, right? I read a story two years ago about Mark Zuckerberg, founder of Facebook, worth something at the time, something like $70 billion. I don't know what he's worth today. At the time, he's worth something like, like 120 billion or something. Yeah. yeah, billion dollars. And he had put in, because you, he has to file this with the SEC and with his board, he had put in that he wanted to liquidate $1 billion worth of his hold, worth of his interest right. in Facebook. Silicon Valley went into a panic. And at the time, it was the most money that any Silicon Valley tech founder had ever tried to convert into cash out of their business. Stock prices start to dive because they think, well, if the founder and CEO is selling his stock, we must need to get out as well. And then 
the whole net worth, not only of him, but of people with mutual funds, people with 401ks. Exactly. Everybody invested in the market starts to collapse. What that means is, if we started a uh, broom company, and we invented the best broom anybody's ever had, and we manufacture them, and we sell our brooms, and uh, promo code Shapiro, we sell a ton of them. <laughs> and then we sell our broom company to... Some, Hillary Clinton, probably. Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I'd like to guess. <laughs> the only person who could afford it. Right? We sell it to Hillary Clinton for $3 billion. And by the time you pay all your taxes, you pay out all your employees, you pay all your legal costs. Let's say we, we clear there's $1 billion left in Jeremy Boring's account. I doubt that I have much less money than plenty of guys who are on paper worth $20 billion. This is right, because they have Mark Zuckerberg's stock, fortune right. is in his stock, Jeff Bezos's fortune is in his stock. Now, don't get me wrong, they have access to all kinds of wealth through the company, mm -hmm. money that they pay themselves in salary. They're doing great. But a guy who sells a company for $3 billion probably has more cash on hand right. than these billionaires. And the reason and that, that's, that matters and that is stock, that stock is also invested in other companies which are hiring people right. to that's do right. work. That's right. And, and, and so, when you, so, when you, and you have make to liquidate them liquidate, you, have to liquidate you bring the stock whole in, value right. of the stock market right. down. But, He's going to Fewer people are going to get hired. Fewer people's retirements but, are going to come through. But the on short, the short way of saying this, which is just true, is the left no longer understands why business is there except to fund their plans. They yeah. have absolutely no clue about the value of work, about the dignity of work, about the dignity of building stuff, about the, the yeah, magic right. of or, inventing or, or, stuff. Or how, the, or, or how the economy grows, right? And, I mean, there's a study makes, today. What makes it beautiful? I mean, this is what makes this country so great, is people building things, you know, like just building things out of nothing, sitting in their garage and building yeah. billion-dollar companies. This is an amazing right. thing. And they, they just think they it's there it. to it. fund mm -hmm. their I actually uh, wanna, plans. I actually want to say something about this before we take questions. There is, uh, there's a kind of ethics that most people never have to contemplate. But as a business owner, you have to contemplate this kind of ethics. It's the ethics of business. When is it moral to fire someone? When is it immoral not to fire someone? Uh, what do you do with profits in your company? How do you I invest think you in your signal Yeah, hold on. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Let's take the questions. Let's go on to questions. <laughs> but these are actually ethical questions. They affect people's sure. lives. There's there's right and wrong answers. And and it can be a little bit challenging to navigate some of those waters. One of the things that bothers me as a business owner is when I hear people who've never contemplated the ethics of business condemn business people as unethical. Did you know that 58% of working Americans, I just learned this today say that they would trust a stranger more than their boss. Mm. This is offensive. <laughs> Patently absurd. Patently absurd. absurd. It's, it's offensive because your boss absolutely trusts you. Otherwise, they wouldn't have hired you and put you in a position to advance or, or harm their interests. Right. So they're putting their trust in you, and the majority of their workers don't trust them in return. And the reason is because people like Bernie Sanders and people like Elizabeth Warren constantly say the CEO class is against you. The CEO class employs you. Right. Yeah. They say the billionaires are stealing from you. The billionaires have created so much wealth that global poverty, not just America, global poverty is at an all-time low. If you have a job in America today, you have an entrepreneur to thank. Mm -hmm. And there's this sort of- Well over half of Americans are employed by a company that employs more than, more than I think it's 2,500 people. That's right. Like a, a huge percent, like most people in America now work but, for, but they for do large companies. Nobody, nobody likes his boss. I nobody, mean, that's the, the, and I get it, you don't have to like your but, boss. But, but let me tell you but something you have, about but your But you boss. have to contemplate- No, I, I understand. Yeah. I'm no, just saying they're playing off a natural- oh, oh, Of course, yeah. of course. And that, that, that all makes sense. That's but right. I, I can tell you because Jeremy and I have sat in the office together when we've had employment discussions. 
We lose sleep over employment of course, discussions. Of course you do. Of course. I mean, you know how many times I've said I want to fire him. Jeremy, has <laughs> I know we've wrestled his you to the ground. Yeah. I mean, but 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 the but, fact is, but but it is true that the vast majority of people who employ people are the kinds of people really who are straining not to fire people, especially small business owners. But this is true for large business owners I, also. I, you I, think that they are desperate to lay off tens of thousands of people? You think that they, uh, they because I can tell you something right now. If Mark Zuckerberg wanted to liquidate all of his wealth right now, there are a lot of people in this, company, in this country who would lose their jobs. That's right. And he'd walk away a very wealthy man. So he could do that, but he's not going to do that. And okay, I, but, and, and, just, and that's true of all of these you know, billionaires. And I just, I just want to go back, though, to the fact that this is this is what life is. It's guys like you who have an idea, you build something. It's guy, guys like me write a book. People are creating things, making things, even if they make it by their daily uh, labor. You, you make something, and these people make but, nothing. You know, that's right. And, and I want to say, uh, on the ethical... Piece. Yes, it is a. Everybody dislikes their boss, and that's the price of doing business. I totally get it. But covetousness is one of the big ten in in <laughs> yeah. the Bible. The big ten things you're not supposed to do. Very few people walk around being encouraged to murder. Right. Just right. murder. Murder's great. You deserve to murder. Very few people uh, walk around committing adultery uh, as though they're being encouraged by the culture. Now, you might say that the culture puts winks at it. Winks at it. But the culture isn't going cheat on your wife. Cheating on your wife is great. I cheat on my wife. You should cheat on your wife. Covetousness, on the other hand, there is an entire political movement in this country dedicated to telling you that you deserve what you did not create, that you deserve well, this Winston Churchill, what you did not earn. Winston Churchill called socialism the gospel of envy. That's not just a cute <laughs> line. Right. It's yeah. a, it's it's a also, keen insight. The, the, the most important political line of the last 20 years is one that people tend to ignore. And it's when Barack Obama was specifically asked whether if he increased marginal tax rates and it lowered economic growth and led to lo lower employment, right. Right. whether he would still do it. And he said, yes, for purposes of fairness. Yep. That's right. So yeah. That, yeah. That, that, is, that is pure and simple. I hate rich people. I hate rich And rich people need to be taken. Now he's a very and, rich and person, so I obviously. Say yeah. I want to say this. There is, a, there is an attitude among the working class that is offensive and is wrong. And if you're, if you're an employee in a company, you should evaluate this. Uh, not because you're, not, I mean, there's a great line in uh, uh, The Edge with, with uh, Anthony Hopkins yeah, and great movie. Alec Baldwin. David Mamet. Yeah, we're, written by our friend David Mamet, where, where uh, Anthony Hopkins says to Baldwin, never feel sorry for a man with a jet. <laughs> and that's fair. You don't have to feel sorry for your boss. That's not my point. But you should reflect on your own attitudes and your own biases. You, you see a similar attitude. I don't like it with a sort of women's power movement mm. where it's like if guys wore a shirt that says, uh, I can do whatever I want. You can't tell me nothing. That'd be bad. But women can kind of encourage each other in that. Similar with the way that this sort of blue collar attitude, and it's an attitude that says, we're the real workers. We're the people who are really making mm -hmm. things possible. We're the ones who are irreplaceable. The big muckety muck up top, he he's nothing. He's just a guy who's stealing all of our who's stealing all of our labor. It's obviously untrue. But this doesn't mean that there isn't dignity in what you do. There is. If you, if you work hard, do your best, uh, and deliver, no matter where you are on the hierarchy of employment. You're doing something that has an amazing value. You're doing something for which you should be proud. You're doing something that makes the world work uh, for every other productive member of society. It is also true that if Warren Buffett owns a railroad, and on that railroad there are 100,000 people working on the train, and there are 10,000 people in middle management managing the people on the train, and above that there are 1,000 people who are executives over the middle management, and they're involved in strategy, and above that there's Warren Buffett who has to make decisions every single day life and death decisions about how to make that succeed, make a profit so that all those other people can get paid or lose a profit. All those people lose their jobs and all the 401ks that are invested in that company lose their retirements. 
the further you go up that pyramid, the more irreplaceable the work of the person gets. But you know, this is this, this is this is why when you're at the bottom of that and you retire, the company goes on. But when Warren Buffett dies, the railroad will go into a moment of crisis where right. they try to determine now who's going to be the one who's responsible for determining whether or not so, all these employees. By the way, I don't think, or they don't. So one of the misnomers of modern American politics is that this is a working class mentality. I really don't think it is. And if you look at the polls inside the Democratic Party, what you will see is that a huge percentage of the support for Elizabeth Warren is coming from college graduates. Right. You know, highly, That's highly right. educated people. It ain't the working class. It ain't the working, the working class. It also the working class understands it also that people who work in this in this country. It used to be. I remember in England during the seventies, and England during the seventies was a horrible. Oh horrible yeah, before place. Thatcher. It was, oh, it was, it was amazing. And they used to say with admiration to me, they would say, you, Ameri you know, when we see a guy go by in a Rolls Royce, we think I'm going to bring that guy down. He said, when you see a guy go by in a Rolls Royce, you think I'm going to get one of those. That's and right. That's the way Americans used to think. You can twist that. Obviously, they did in Britain. You can twist people's minds until they're filled with envy. But, you know, the, the thing that you're talking about, too, is the hidden meritocracy of the left, because they mm -hmm. say, you, you know, if you put out a pet rock and you make a million bucks, you earned that million bucks. That's an idea. You did uh, I something. did put out a pet rock, and I made a lot of money. <laughs> you did put out a pet rock. <laughs> that idea was worth something. What have they done? What have they done that they get to spend the money well, you made? And you know, this is the yep. thing that, that, that drove me up a wall. Did you see that clip of Bernie Sanders sitting next to AOC in the weirdest version of the odd couple ever? Right? I think we, uh, the good news is I think we know who we cast as Alex, uh, Oscar and who we, who we cast as Felix. But it, it took me three weeks to figure out that F.U. meant something, something pudding. It's a great it's a, a great play. A great play. <laughs> but, but the fact but there's that clip of Bernie Sanders doing uh, saying, you know, the arrogance of of Michael Bloomberg and these billionaires want to get into politics because they think that because they're rich, they should run your life. And I thought to myself, you are a professional useless person, a professional <laughs> useless person. For 50 years. You have, been you have been kicked out of a commune for being useless. And then you were like, you know where I can go to be even more useless and people will give me money? I can go into local, state, and federal government. And you spent the last 50 years providing nothing, mm -hmm. zero things. You have not created a single job that was not paid for by the taxpayer. You have not passed a single major piece of legislation. You have done nothing, zero things. Yep. And you're sitting here saying that because, listen, I don't like Michael Bloomberg either. I think he's a schmuck. But... Michael Bloomberg has at least created some jobs. He's actually yep. run a business. Yep. In fact, yep. he was actually a fairly successful mayor of New York. Mm -hmm. You are a, literally a professional useless person <laughs> who is old and crazy, and you scream at the moon. And, and, and you're sitting there being like, all these billionaires want to get into politics. How arrogant. I think to myself, okay, which is more arrogant? The guy who has, who has created jobs for probably tens of thousands of people who says, you know what? I can bring that same sort of sensibility to government. Or the guy who has created nothing ever in the history of his entire life, See? who says, I want to run every single aspect of your that's life right. forever. So who you, is more you, arrogant? You finally said something nice about Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but that's true. I mean, I didn't have any yeah. objections yeah. to Donald no, Trump running for office on the basis of his business record. I've never thought that a political career was actually the basis for being a good president of the United States. Every president we've had has basically been a politician, and most of them have been schmucks. That's right. So, like, that's, 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 not, a, that's not a thing. So... Our pals over ExpressVPN. Uh, uh, I love ExpressVPN. Not only are they, I mean, just one of the best supporters of everything that we do yep. at the Daily Wire. They're great dudes. And their product is so important to you. I know this because you're watching this show. And if you're watching this show, 
you need to be using a VPN. <laughs> so nobody knows you're watching. So yeah. nobody <laughs> knows that you're watching this show. Uh, but of course, it isn't just about hiding your shame for watching Daily Wire content. It's also about protecting your identity and protecting your financial. Have any of you guys ever had your, your credit card information stolen online? Uh, somebody oh, tried to do it yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I somebody mean, tried it, to steal my stuff yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it is. I'm it sorry. Happened, by the way. It, is, <laughs> it has happened to me, and it is no fun. And this is one of the reasons why you should be using a VPN. And the best VPN on the market is, of course, ExpressVPN. You know, they've been on this show and my show for so long that you already know the pitch, right? You already know why it's important to encrypt your data, protect it from big tech, which wants to monetize your data. It's your data. Big tech shouldn't be monetizing it. Right. They want it. They want the government wants to monitor exactly what you're doing every hour of the day. So if you sleep easy at night knowing that Elizabeth Warren can visit your <laughs> websites that you visited, then more power to you. But if you would like a little bit of privacy, ExpressVPN is the way to do this. But you might be thinking that, you know, you folks here on The Daily Wire, the ones talking to us, well, you, you're you're public figures. And that means that people are constantly coming after your information. I'm just not one of those people. People aren't going to come, going to come after my information. Wrong. <laughs> they are going to come after your information because if you are worth more than a dollar or if you have an income or a credit card or if you're just a normal American and the media decide to go after you, as it turns out, yeah. there will be people who are seeking your information. You need a VPN too. You know, yes. you wouldn't leave your front door unlocked every night, even though the chances of you being robbed are pretty low because one day somebody might actually try your front door. You should go get ExpressVPN right now. Visit our special link right now at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Protect your internet today with the VPN I trust to keep my data safe. Go to expressvpn.com slash Ben to get started. So if you are watching this show uh, and you are a Daily Wire subscriber, thank you. If you're watching this show and you are not a Daily Wire subscriber, what the matter? Uh, I can't do it. Please think about supporting us. You go over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. You can today enter the promo code Warren Tears. That's Warren Tears as in the mighty Elizabeth Warren. And the tears are the tears that she will be weeping uh, when we sue her for plagiarism. I, the, the, okay, the best part of this story is so somebody at, at in our Daily Wire social media team yes. looked at, did you see this thing? It's amazing. Awesome. Uh, it's so good. So they, they looked at her website, right, where she's selling these, these billionaire tears. And it says powered by Shopify. Right. Shopify, of course, is owned by a man who's worth $3.2 billion. <laughs> Capitalism always wins. <laughs> it always wins. By the way, quick for the last note on the wealth tax, and then we can do the questions. Yeah. Quick note on the wealth tax. There was a study that came out in the New York Times today. And what it found out was that it was, it was a, I think it was done by University of Pennsylvania, analyzing the wealth tax. And what it found is that over the course of the next decade, Elizabeth Warren's proposals could, they, they predict, would, lower the economic growth rate in the United States from 1.5% to 1.3%. So 0.2%, that's annually, every single year. Okay, that is a massive amount of money. To explain how massive an amount of money that is, the same people forecast that Donald Trump's tax cuts would increase the, uh, the growth of the United States over the course of the next 10 years by 0.06% per year. Okay, what that means is that yeah. the downside of Elizabeth Warren is three times the mm. upside of the Trump tax cut Okay, and that is if you use the rosiest estimates, if you actually believe that she's going to be able to seize this wealth and people aren't going to simply move, which is what happened in France. 40,000 millionaires course, moved out of France, course, yeah. which is why every country that's ever tried this garbage wealth tax, which, by the way, is also unconstitutional under Article 1, Section 9 of the Constitution. It's never going to happen, but she is... She's, she's a bad person. She's, she's a, bad a bad person, person. because I mean, she's I'm, making it part of the narrative. Of course it's not going to happen. Even if she's elected president, there is a 0% chance that this wealth tax goes into... I, there's, I, there's think, one, I, sorry, think one, bad, I think she's a bad person because she knows all this. Oh, she does. Yeah. She's smarter than this. She, and she's known all this for years. Yeah. Every point that she makes now, she's previously taken the opposite side of. Every story she's ever told, it that's turns right. out, no, is that's, probably that's false. That's actually right. right? That she's she's right, a yeah. wildly disingenuous human yeah. being. Plus, and when it comes she stole my leftist tears hot or cold <laughs> tumbler and made her billionaire tears mug. Uh, and guys... 
billionaires cry tears of gold. <laughs> if I felt that I could collect billionaire tears and all I had to do was buy that mug, I'd do it. Go over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Type in Warren Tears as your promo code. You'll get 20% off. And we are going to take your question. No, no, I'd say one thing. Okay, then really, I promise. No, it's the last thing. It's the last thing. It's the last thing. Okay, because it'll escape my mind, then it will be gone forever. And then no one will be able to share in the, in the brilliant pearls of wisdom that fall from these lips. <laughs> the, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren, there is something so deeply immoral about the idea that billionaires are not allowed to complain about people harming them. Right, really, like th yeah. that is an immoral proposition. Of course it is. It's an immoral proposition. I mean, her basic suggestion is that if somebody sees a billionaire on the street and punches them, and beats the living crap out of them, that because they're a billionaire, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, she is she is a Danton, Robespierre, French revolutionary character. I mean, that is the kind of language that she uses. Yeah. And what except, she neglects except, to mention is that she's worth $12 million. She'll Danton, be one of the first people Danton on the Danton actually believed come. what he was saying. <laughs> this is the thing. And he was also All, the first all right, I want to hear from our okay. Daily Wire yes. subscribers. They keep us on the air. So, Alicia, are you with us? Yep, and I gotta say, if I were Catholic, I'd be going to confessional tomorrow because I'm pretty envious of a Focahontas carving that somehow made it into the studio I before I did. I hadn't I know you're talking about. I know she's talking about. She's in a different room. Maybe yeah. I don't know. <laughs> still in the broom closet, <laughs> but a crazy lying leftist hey, gets to be in there. Okay, we can, we can make three billion dollars off that broom closet. <laughs> <laughs> As Jeremy, the God King, said, of course, lowercase g, lowercase k, for all of our subscribers watching at home, if you want to ask the guys some questions, just head on over to dailywire.com, navigate to the shows page at the top, click on backstage, and then type your questions into the chat box next to the video. Our fantastic uh, producers and I will be culling through those questions and toss them to the guys. And remember that only subscribers get to ask the questions. So if you're not one, you can become one tonight to get those questions in and apparently get a leftist tears tumbler before Elizabeth Warren becomes president and bans them. <laughs> um, so our first question comes from a, a subscriber who wants to know, on the topic of immigration, how do we as Americans assimilate to our own culture and values before we can assimilate immigrants to do the same? Thanks for all the, the work that you guys do. Andrew. I don't actually understand. I think that the basic idea is that Americans don't understand our own values. Mm. So how can we hope to assimilate well, immigrants I, to our values? I think that that is the great lie of illegal immigration and of unfettered immigration is the idea that we can let people in without causing them to be us. This is the whole thing. If, if you want to come to this country, you must you have to be able and willing to leave behind the assumptions and practices of your culture and adopt the assumptions and practices of our culture and the advantages the assumptions and practices of our culture are written down. They're written down in the Constitution. They're written down in the Declaration. You cannot come over here and say, yeah, I want to come over here, but I don't want to ascribe to this people are equal stuff or people should be free stuff. I come from a country. I want you to be more like my country. I hear this in taxi cabs in New York all the time, by the way. People say, I don't like this liberty very much. The driver will say to me, I don't like this liberty very much. I'll say, you know, Go to LaGuardia, go to JFK, <laughs> you can fly right the hell out of here. Yeah. Know, there's no problem. What so taxis this is, are this, you taking, man? <laughs> this is, this is, no, but this is actually true, that what the left wants is not just unfettered immigration. It's unfettered immigration without assimilation, and you can't have it. And I think that this has become a, a huge problem in discussing this, because when you say, well... What country do you come from? Well, I come from Saudi Arabia. And are you willing to leave behind the idea that women are chattel? <laughs> you know? Well, no, I'm not. Get the hell out. You know, I mean, this is something we have values here. We, we have them. We're not like Europe. We have them written down. It's not based on race. 
It's, I don't care where it came from. It's not based on race. It's not based on the color of your skin. It's based on desire. Do you want to be one of us? And I think that this is something we have to, we have to argue for. We can, you know, the problem that we have on the right is we do have these guys, the alt-right guys that you've been taking on brilliantly, by the way. You've been taking on these alt-right guys who are racist. They, yeah. they, they're haters. And, and we have nothing to do with them. I want nothing to do with them. I don't want to be associated with them. But to say that you have to ascribe to the non-racist, pro-liberty, pro uh, equality ideals that made this country what it is. Of course, that's true, and you can't do that if you don't. We don't know who you are, and so the old uh, immigration was so well regulated, was so you know people were asked questions, people were seen uh, given medical tests to see if they had diseases that they were going to spread. This idea that we can just open our borders and that makes us welcoming and compassionate is nonsense. And by the way, the virulence of this idea that that immigration should be race based, uh, which is an ugly, ugly idea. Stupid. The the virulence of that idea. I, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, why is that cropping up now? And I will say that I think that the left has a heavy hand of blame here because I, I think agree. that, that the I left agree. has spent years claiming that there is going to be a demographic change in the country and that the demographics of the country are destiny, right? They keep saying this. They wrote books about this. They would say, yep. well, you know, there will come a day when there's a non-white majority in America, and that inevitably means that there will be a change in the politics. And I thought to myself, well, that is pure unbridled racism. <laughs> right. you, are, you are now saying that because there are more Hispanics in the country, then therefore that means that ne necessarily there will be more leftists in the country. And then you're saying, I want to bring in millions more illegal immigrants across the border and then give them amnesty. Yeah. So what do you think people are going to think? These, right? these I mean, races, that, that the, people, the people who are reacting with racism are not doing any better. They're doing, they're doing it just as badly. They're horrible. Uh, All of them are horrible. The, the, the whole point is that immigration, again, should be driven by ideas. And the fact that, that the, the left has said a couple of things. I, I, was, I wrote an entire column about this this week because there was an interesting piece by Yoni Applebaum in The Atlantic suggesting, well, Republicans seem to have forgotten about the, ideal, the, the idea that their ideas can appeal to anybody. Instead, they're just suggesting that their ideas can only appeal to a certain racial subset, and that is why they keep going back to the white working class. And I thought to myself, well, no, that, that's not true. But it is true that the left has been saying that conservative ideas can only apply to a certain subset, namely white working class people, yeah. maybe, I, I, and that everybody else is not susceptible to conservative I, I think ideas. To be, I think to be fair, to be fair for a moment, that our Republican politicians have been feckless when it comes to walking in to neighborhoods where we're not usually welcome and making their case. And the reason they're, they're feckless about it, because they're afraid. They're afraid because every time Mitt Romney did it, he went to the NAACP and they said, how, could you, how dare, they actually said this, how dare you tell black people they should start businesses when they can't even hold bank accounts. This is what the Democrats said. And if we don't go in and make the argument, I mean, that's the thing I, you got to love about Trump. He said, what have you got to lose? Why don't you sign up and see what happens? And if anybody who did sign up, who was a person of color, as they say now, is doing really well because of Donald Trump. And yet, and yet, I mean, look, look at Rudy Giuliani. I know Rudy Giuliani today is kind of a loop loony, but he was one of the greatest mayors, if not the greatest mayor New York ever had. And he turned New York around from a cesspit, which I lived in, to one of the greatest world class, probably the greatest city on earth. And that was almost all Giuliani. Every single day, he was called a racist. Mm -hmm. His policies saved an estimated 4,000 black lives. And now today they're saying, well, it was mass imprisonment. Nobody was put in prison in mass. People were put in prison for breaking Individually. the law. Individually. One, yeah. <laughs> One at a time. I actually think it's a, a fairly simple question, and there's historical precedent for it, too. And I think it is entirely the left's fault. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. We right now have the highest foreign-born population 
as a percentage of the total American population that we've had since 1890, which was another period of mass immigration when many of our ancestors came over here, some of mine included. And this created a, an assimilation crisis. And that was at a time when there was a great encouragement to assimilate. And this led to tighter immigration controls from the early 20th century up until 1965 when Teddy Kennedy opened up the floodgates again. And now we have not only 1.2 million legal immigrants coming every year, but an extra million illegal aliens coming on top of that. Assimilation is very, very difficult, even in the best of times. That's right. When you have the entire left in this country actively encouraging you not to assimilate, that is going to create the crisis that people are experiencing now. In the 1990s, you had William F. Buckley Jr. and Arianna Huffington, of all people, arguing for drastically lowering rates of legal immigration because they were racist bigots? No, absolutely not, but because of this problem of assimilation and because America is so great and has historically been so welcoming to immigrants that you want to be able to preserve that. If we simply told the left, we're not going to take it anymore, you're not going to bully us on this, we are going to assimilate people to American culture. If that means a reduction in immigration for some period of time, that's what we're going to do, and you can't stop us. If we just had a little backbone on that issue. Yeah. By the way, we should, we should define this also, because the fact is that if you look at the studies, what the studies tend to show is that people do learn the English language about the same rate they were learning the English language before. So there is assimilation going on in terms of the English language, but that's not really what people are talking about. What people are really talking about is level of belief in the government running lives. But this, but this is actually the real problem. Yes. So, you know, when, when conservatives will say um, some, some illegal immigrant will, will rape someone or murder someone, and then they make a big to-do about the fact that that happened, and then the left will say, eh, Americans rape each other all the time, Americans rape, uh, murder each other all the time. We understand that the reason it's different when an illegal immigrant does it is because, yes, all people are flawed, and you're going to have rapes and murders even if you don't have immigration. But why should you have to have this rape or this murder from someone who didn't have the legal right to be here. This one could have been prevented, and we know exactly how it could have been prevented. The same is true here, I think, it, almost in reverse. We're saying it's bad that people come into the country and they, and they don't uh, assimilate to the traditional American ethic, the traditional American set of values, the creed. But the fundamental problem is we're not inculcating that creed in, in Americans, actual Americans This is exactly today. right. There's it, not, you right. turns say, out, it, you turns out that, it turns out that assimilation to the free market is very easy when there's no welfare state. Yeah. And right. it turns out when there's an enormous welfare that, state, it's a big then problem. it changes it's the nature of people right. who are going to come yeah. here. You and draw a different crowd when you leave the front door open and you say free donuts, right? I mean, if you're a legal immigrant and you want to become a citizen, you have to take a test. Most Americans can't pass that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Right. And, it, you know, it, it's also, it is more than even just having them agree to a few things. It is also about American customs and hot dogs yeah. on the 4th of July. And you have the left in this country saying that the American flag, the symbol of the and, country and itself. And that is, cult cultural appropriation, the best thing about this country, the best thing about this country is come in, we'll wear your funny hat, but you have to right. be free. You, want, you know, we'll eat your food, but we, you have to be free. That's all we ask. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful thing that we culturally appropriate things. I, I, I promise that this is probably the last time that Beto O'Rourke will ever be mentioned on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Beto, <laughs> or anywhere. Right, exactly, exactly. But the, this all comes down to the image. You want to know what the immigration problem is right now in America it is, is the image of Beta O'Rourke standing in front of new immigrants to the United States and talking about how America is indubitably racist right. and will continue to be racist forever and why America is terrible. And, and always that's the, that's the whole yeah. thing. Well, that's and, the whole thing. They, in an they openly say this. This is the thing. Sometimes, sometimes I listen to myself and I think you sound like a conspiracy theorist, except they actually come out and say this, that America was never great. America was founded on racism. All these things which are literally untrue. Also, 
They're only for people who've never lived outside the country. I lived outside the country yes, seven years. Right. This is the least, the least racist country. It's not. There's studies to prove this. And if you want, and if you want numbers to prove it, there are numbers to prove it. There's yeah. a Swedish study that, show, that that investigated how many Americans versus other countries were willing and interested in living in a neighbor who did not share their race. America came in at the top of the list. Of course. Ask somebody in France that question. Ask somebody in Japan that question. Ask. I mean, like it's as though America doesn't exist in the world and is just like this, this weird island bubble and yeah. that you get to pick on every flaw in America without reference to the fact well, I, that any, anything else has ever existed. That's on right. Anytime they, anytime they use the word American something, it's always a lie because they'll say American racism. You think, is that different than other racism? Yeah, there's less of it. That's, yeah. that's the difference. <laughs> I also think that it's funny that like people take arbitrary moments in history that aren't connected to, hu to practical human experience and they make that the moment when something really, 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 really mattered. So we've been fighting with uh, uh, the racist anti-Semites on the alt-right a little bit over the last few weeks, and they all want to focus on this event surrounding the USS Liberty, which was uh, an American naval vessel that was bombed by the Israelis in the 60s. <laughs> when Ben was giving a speech last night, people were in the comments going, we need reparations for the USS Liberty. And I thought, we got them. We didn't yeah, get them. Yeah, yeah, literally, 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 literally sign a check. Literally, 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 But nevertheless, I always think, you're going back to the 1960s to make an argument, which even if you're right about the event, and I don't think you are, even if you're right, your argument is that 50 years ago, Israel pursued its interest, which did not align with an American interest. To Michael Knowles' point, yeah. go back 150 years before that and the British burned the white. <laughs> this, is, this is how you but know. This is how it is yeah. with, but this is how it is with the slavery argument, too. Like, America abolishes slavery in 1865. The British Empire abolished slavery in the 1840s. So somehow, now, 150 years later, the, the fundamental distinction between a good country and a bad country is a 20-year gap in time a century and a half <laughs> before. Otherwise, we'd be talking about how Britain has a, a sit. Well, the obviously, they, they obviously don't care about that. Slavery. Brazil didn't outlaw slavery, slavery until 1880. Yeah. But why right, does so nobody they, talk about the, the original sin of Great Britain, the sl slavery baked into the DNA of Great Britain? Right, because Britain was the first country to get rid of it. <clears throat> the United States was, was acting very quickly from the founding to actually limit the importation of this, slaves. This I mean, is the, why. The, the because of Great Britain got declare. rid of it 20 years before America get, got rid of it, and America had to fight its bloodiest war in order to do it. None of... You know, I'm just saying that it's uh, it's an absurdity to suggest that we're guilty of it, and the British are somehow free of the guilt. This right. is this is why this is why I, I detest the press, and why I support Trump 100% in his war on the press. <clears throat> you go, we live in LA, right? You go. I was the other day. I was with my wife at a mommy burger, and while she was talking, I was pretending to listen to what she said. I was looking. <laughs> I can only say that. I can only say that. You've been married, married long enough, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm looking around the. At this point, uh, she's too old. You, you both are too old for you guys to get divorced <laughs> enough, right? right? I mean, it's, it's too, like <laughs> too late. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking around the room, and there's Muslim people, there's Jewish people. I mean, openly, you know, wearing yarmulkes right. and and the, and black people and white people, gay people and straight people. It's L.A., right? Every everybody's there, and everybody's getting along fine. Wait, in fact, there there's some people there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was there. And, you know, <laughs> and everybody's sitting there getting along fine. And it's the press that that gives a, a bullhorn to these people. Uh, it's, you know, it's so true. I remember I was sitting. I, was, I, I had this exact experience. So I was sitting with, with David Mamet. And we mm. were having lunch. And it was, in, it was in a restaurant in Santa Monica. And I'm just dropping his name because he's very famous and an excellent writer. <laughs> uh, and you haven't had. And, and most of the people in our audience have not had lunch with David Mamet. So I've had lunch with David Hold Mamet. Hold on. Do you tell me who did you have lunch with? <laughs> 
it rhymes with David Mamet. In oh. any case, David Mamet and I were sitting together, and it was me and David Mamet, and David Mamet was talking. And as we looked around the restaurant, everybody looked at the fact that David Mamet was sitting there with me. As, as we looked around this restaurant, it's, it's in the middle of, of Santa Monica, you know, close to Westwood Boulevard. It's gorgeous outside. It's beautiful. Everybody is sitting there in the middle of lunchtime, taking a long lunch. It's 1.30 in the afternoon, and we're sitting there. And David Mamet's writer, so it doesn't matter if David Mamet is <laughs> And everybody is, is drinking these $100 bottles of wine at the low end, right? And I just looked around and I thought, if I pulled this room right now and I said, how close are we to a civil war? 95% of the people in this room would say we are this close to right, a civil right, war. Right. And I just thought to myself, well, but they can't be bothered to you know, get up from their, their drinks <laughs> to actually think about this for five seconds because... The fact is, they're enjoying their lives. Their yeah, lives are good. pretty, pretty good. This thing's pretty good. good in this country, you, and except on TV. I think, I actually think the reason that they're throwing all of this antipathy on the country and discouraging assimilation and everything about America is awful from Thomas Jefferson to the flag is, is because of this line. You always hear this. Slavery is the original sin of America. It's not the original sin of all these other countries. It's just of America. That isn't true. Original sin is the original sin of America. <laughs> and you've got to look in the mirror to understand that fact, and the left doesn't do it. No, so, Alicia, we're going to hear from some more of our Daily Wire members. All right. Next question from a subscriber. They want to know, what are your thoughts on the lawsuit that's being brought against Remington by members of the Sandy Hook families? Mm. So, my, my understanding is that the Supreme Court wrongly turned down a case that was to adjudicate the immunity of firearms manufacturers to lawsuits that were designed to go after firearms manufacturers. So typically, there's a couple of categories of products liability. You're going to put on the legal hat for a second. So in products liability, there's manufacturer liability. So you, you manufacture a gun, and it's defective, and it blows up in somebody's hand. You can be sued for that. There is also, uh, there, there's also uh, a form of basically advertising liability in which you misadvertise a product. You say that it can do something, and it can't do something, and now you're liable for that. There has never been a category of products liability in which a product is created, it fulfills what it is supposed to do. It is advertised for what it is supposed to do. It does not malfunction, but somebody bad used the product in a bad way, and therefore right. the manufacturer of the product is guilty. It would be like if you guilty. sued Gillette because somebody slit someone else's yeah. throat. Correct, exactly. correct. So the problem was that there were a bunch of these lawsuits that were being filed. And as, ever, as anybody knows about the American tort system, all you have to do is get seven people on a friendly jury, and you can rip money away from... And it's, and it's very easy in these particular cases because you get a shooting victim who's obviously very sympathetic and should be very sympathetic talking about a gun manufacturer who's very rich and very wealthy, and they're making weapons of war, right? And you just get eight, nine jurors to say, okay, well, like, they can afford to give a million bucks to this poor kid who's now in a wheelchair because some jackass shot him, right? And so what you ended up with was a, a bunch of cases this is in the early 90s, a bunch of cases in which manufacturers were paying out exorbitant sums of money to people who had been shot in these sorts of cases. So, so Congress comes along in the mid-2000s, they pass a law that grants immunity to lawsuit to manufacturers of firearms, saying this is not a special class of manufacturers who suddenly are, uh, are we create a new class of liability just for firearms or anything. It was just re-enshrining the basic tort liability sta stance that you cannot be held liable for somebody misusing your product or using your product in the way it was intended to be used, but using it against the wrong target, right? Like if, if you, a knife, it is, it is meant to stab, right? It stabs many things. It can be used to stab people who are innocent as O.J. Simpson will tell you. So the fact is, <laughs> like, could, could Nicole Brown Simpson's family then sue the manufacturer uh, of, of the knife. Cutco. Right, Cutco for, for, for any of this. And the answer, of course, is no. So this goes to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court turns down the case and has basically reopened the liability into gun manufacturers and the left is celebrating because they feel like, okay, now we're going to launch a bunch of lawsuits against these gun manufacturers and attempt to put them out of business. You've already seen some of the gun manufacturers starting to 
carve off different portions of their company and bifurcate the company to prevent liability from spilling over into every area of the company. So they will create uh, an advertising liability, basically a separate advertising company for Remington because the lawsuits are generally based on you advertise this gun widely and then somebody who's bad saw the advertisement and then bought the gun. So they're they're trying to carve this up. But look, all this really is is about an anti-gun agenda. It is not really about a a pro-victim agenda any more than it would be a pro-victim agenda to allow a liability class against a, a knife manufacturer. That's that's the legal breakdown. Alicia, let's hear from one more subscriber. All right, a Cuban-American subscriber wants to let y'all know that he plans on voting for Donald Trump. And what can Trump and the Republican Party do in order to gain more of the Hispanic vote, which he thinks will be decisive in following elections? Well, Michael Knowles, you once played a Cuban in an independent <laughs> film. That's true. I think you're the most and qualified. That's true. I've always enjoyed uh, Cuban people and Cuban products, as a matter of fact. There, there is, actually, this gets into the immigration question because one argument that you could always use against the, the bigot people is you point out that when they say that all of the uh, Hispanic vote votes to the left, that isn't true of Cuban immigrants. Why? Because they've just left this horrific totalitarian communist regime. And so they come here. But over generations, the share of Cuban Americans who vote for Republicans diminishes throughout uh, the generations. This is true. If you look at all millennials, if you look at all Gen Z, if you look at, at uh, any, any number of different That's races. probably true of Russian expatriates as well. That's exactly. Who that's, 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 no longer remember. Mm-hmm. That's right. They don't remember because that, that is, has been lost. That uh, becomes a problem of education. I don't think that the GOP needs slicker advertising. I don't think that's going to do it because the advertising actually begins in kindergarten. The, the, the people who don't have a, a generational memory of communism are learning from K through 12. And when they read the New York Times and the Washington Post that actually communism was really great and actually America's really terrible. You're not going to fix this on the political level. You have to get into the institutions, not just colleges, not even just high schools, but middle school and elementary school too. Good luck doing that. Yeah. Man. So let's talk about our friends over at Policy Genius, another one of the great companies that keeps us on the air and has been a huge supporter of the Backstage Show in particular. Uh, I think all of you guys have had some good experiences with Policy Genius, yeah? Indeed. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, great. it's a great website, first of all. You go in, it's so easy to oh, maneuver so through it. And I mean, the one thing you don't want is you don't want guys knocking on your door selling your life insurance. You go on there, they don't push you to take anything. They just give you all the, they let you compare the products. It's, it's really the perfect way to do this without having people break down your door. I mean, for those who don't know, you should have life insurance. Yes. Okay, everyone should have life insurance, particularly Drew. Yeah. But all of us should have life insurance, and me as it turns I, out. I don't, so. I, don't, I don't know why, why my wife keeps taking out more and more on me. I'm not sure what <laughs> But if you don't have life insurance, you should go get some. It's open enrollment season, so people are getting life insurance through their employer, and they think that that's sufficient. Generally not sufficient. You probably need more than your employer can provide. And you should have private life insurance also because that way if you lose your job, you don't lose your life insurance. Right. The people who can help you make that happen, the folks over at Policy Genius, it's the easy way to shop for a life insurance plan that is not tied to your job in minutes. You can compare quotes from top insurers and find your best price. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and the red tape. The life insurance you buy through Policy Genius stays with you even if you leave your job. So when you're looking at workplace benefits this month, make sure to double check your life insurance options and then head on over to our friends over at policygenius.com to get quotes and apply in minutes. By the way, they also do auto insurance and disability insurance and home insurance. They are your one-stop shop for insurance, which is great because you don't want to stop more than once for insurance. Policygenius.com. Get quotes, apply in minutes. Policy Genius is the easy way to compare and buy life insurance and all those other types of insurance that I mentioned as well. Alicia, 
Gonna, are you still awake over there, Alicia? Are you still, are you still <laughs> alive, barely, Alicia? Barely. I've been up since 1 a.m. Don't ask. <laughs> what? Well, now I'm going to ask. Why have you been up since 1 a.m.? Oh, because, you know, some god king decided to do backstage tonight, and I had to come oh, back yeah. from Ole Miss. <laughs> I, think, I think that's me. <laughs> no, wonder, no wonder people hate their boys. Yeah. Sometimes give the people what they want and ask more questions of y'all from the subscribers over on DailyWire.com. So this is a two-part question. It's going to be pretty interesting. I think it'd be cool to hear all the guys take on this. Hmm. How long do you think it will be before conservatives can take back California? And how likely is it that the God King's home state of Texas turns Democrat this election cycle? Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's, a, that's a genuine danger. I think, you know, I was just talking to a guy from Texas and he says, he was kind of bragging about it. He said, all these people are coming in from California. And I said, well, I hope they don't ruin your state. And his face fell. He hadn't thought of that, that maybe that... Although, but you know, you're not, right. you're, not true. This is it's not right. As, okay. as a bona fide Texan, yes. I will tell you that you during uh, the last election when Ted Cruz was running against... I hate to name it again, but <laughs> we never This would. is the most press Beto has gotten <laughs> in, like, weeks, right? Yeah, he might He's off eating, like, Utah, the dirt in Utah, and no. here we are talking about it. It'd be funny if he surged to, like, 2% in the Democratic polls. <laughs> just ripping on him, exactly. <laughs> when, when our friend Ted Cruz was running against Beto O'Rourke for Senate in the last election... Uh, they took a look at the polls after. It turns out there was a huge swing in Texas from the twenty from the last election uh, that had happened in terms of moving moving left, right, moving right. from deep red to uh, dangerously purple. Uh, what they found was all of the Californian expats, all even all the immigrants. That, well, that's not fair. All the California expats who had moved into Texas, they all voted for Ted Cruz. Good God, that's one. The problem that's, that's is, is yeah. Texans. Right, it's the kids of Texans. That's the, right. The young people. Yeah. Right. It's not, it's not Marty McFly. It's Marty McFly's kids. Uh-huh. That's right. Yeah. right. It's the kids, Marty. That's the, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, something's got to be done about that. I mean, it, it really is. It's, it's a generational thing, and, and that's, that's right. the real danger uh, in Texas. Honestly, I think that uh, Texas, uh, it'll be very difficult for, for Democrats to win Texas in this election cycle, specifically mm. because they're going to nominate somebody nuts. Uh, and Texas right. is still heavy Trump territory. He's, he's lost some in the polls. I, I would find it very, very unlikely. It may that actually Trump- be that the best thing happening in Texas right now is that Californians keep moving there. Because the Californians who are leaving California, by and large, are the Californians who are trying to flee. Yeah, there's a, there's a, whole, study done, there's a whole study done about but, like people who are in California who want to leave, and it's entirely red state Californians. This, is, this is the thing I would, I would like to ask. I, I have seen twice in my life which has now gone on, I don't know, 150, 160 years. I have seen twice things that you thought would never turn around that turned around. One was I was in New York in the 70s, which, my God, I mean, you really could not go outside at night without taking your life in your hands. I mean, you had to worry. Right, Death Witch was a documentary. <laughs> right, and, 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 and Giuliani turned that town around, as I said before. I also saw the Carter years, the Jimmy Carter years, when this country was, they, they called it the, the time when the West tried to commit suicide. Right. When he was thrown out, all it took was Ronald Reagan to come in, and he turned it around. What I want to know is how long, how long are people in California going to put up with the homeless in their streets, crapping on their sidewalks? And, and God knows, I have a heart for the homeless. I really do. It's not, it's not about that, but it's not compassionate to leave people out in the streets. It's not compassionate to leave people untreated for mental illness and drug abuse. This is not compassion. How long are people going to stand for that and not think, you know, you know what I might do? I might vote for the other party because Republicans have abandoned this state. They're starting now at grassroots to move back to say, can we rebuild this party? I've been talking to people who are doing it, but it's a long, slow process. I think it's and a losing proposition, people, though, because always, I mean, because yeah. we have we are so rich now. People have never been richer in this country mm-hmm. than they are today. Mm-hmm. That means they've never had more geographic mobility. And the mm-hmm. fundamental truth goes back to the, the problem in Texas is the problem in Cal or the the hope for Texas is the problem in California. 
everybody who's trying to build a, a new Republican Party in the state of California is having to fight against the fact that every Republican is moving out it's of California. Well, yeah. they're, they're, so I actually am not as hopeless about California as I was even maybe a couple of years ago. And that is because California has turned into a shithole. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it really, it really it's, has. Like, it's, a, it's a third world. So, so, let, so, yeah. so, so lest Donald Trump be, be condemned for using that word about places that are not the United States. I've lived my entire life in California, uh -huh. with the exception of when I was in law school. Every single moment of my life has been in California. I love this state. I don't have any plans to move from this state. The place is turning horrible. It's a, it's a horribly it's, governed it's a, state. It's amazing. It's what, unbelievable. Yeah. And, and so I have been urging, I can't tell you how many politicians, people who have run for governor in these races, I've said to them over and over, the most recently Neil Kashkari, I remember saying this to you repeatedly, why are you not running on crime and quality of life issues? Yes. Why? Why? <laughs> right? Even Arnold Schwarzenegger didn't. When he ran in 2000 against Gray Davis in the runoff, it was basically just, well, you know, he's a friendly guy who likes education. You remember, his big issue was education. You can't run on education as a Republican and win, even on school vouchers. That's usually not like a huge win. Sometimes it's a little bit of a value add, like it was for Ron DeSantis in Florida, where he won like 100,000 black votes. He wouldn't have won without school choice. But when it comes to the bread and butter issues in California, you can't run on something where the easy answer from the other side is throw money at it, right, which is education. What you should be running on is the fact that the DA in San Francisco says he is not going to prosecute <laughs> this is the people key. pissing yeah. and shitting on the streets. Well, it's not just that I'm very tired, so I'm cursing more. It's, it's not <laughs> just that he said it when he got elected. The, the shift we've seen is it was formerly maladministration. Now they are running on legalizing public urine. Running on it. Running on it. Right. Okay, and, and, and this, this city, LA, I mean, I've lived here my entire life. I remember when this was a pretty clean city. It was cool. Okay, and that, that is not a, yeah. again, for, for those who don't understand English, that is not any commentary on ethnicity or race. I mean, like, physically clean. There is trash everywhere. There's a homeless person living on every bench. Like, literally, you can go down Ventura Boulevard, and every single bench, go down Sunset, every single bench yeah. will have a homeless person on it. You go by any freeway underpass, any one of them, and you will find a homeless encampment there. And it's you'll find open needles in suburban areas. But why? How and are Republicans the homeless, not running on the this? The homeless How? actually burned down Brentwood a year ago. Yeah, they did. They right. burned the richest the richest community in LA. But By the way, the wildfires have been linked to. There have been several wildfires linked to homeless issue. <laughs> is right. it pure virtue signaling that people will tolerate this at all? I mean, why San yes. Francisco? I lived in San Francisco, one of the most beautiful cities on earth, on the planet. It is now a hellhole. It really is. It just is absolutely disgusting. Why isn't somebody saying? Hmm. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to vote for different because, people. Because because the left has, because the left has shamed people, particularly people of well, because California has bifurcated so strongly yeah, yeah. that it's basically people who are extremely wealthy living in Beverly Hills, living off of Sunset so Boulevard, or people does, yeah. who are living in the downtown LA underpass. Another right? way to put it is you have Maxine Waters and Maxine Waters' constituents. That's, <laughs> that's the difference. I mean, you want to talk about income inequality? Income inequality is a thing here in Los Angeles, and it is in San Francisco as well. And so it's very easy for politicians to demagogue this thing by basically saying, well, you know what, you can buy, all, like, this is actually the pitch. The pitch is there's this vast underclass that has been created by all of our regulation, but it's really created by you, the rich people. And you know how you can keep that vast underclass from coming after you? You can buy them off. You can buy them off by us leaving them alone. I mean, d like, really, do you think that the folks in San Jose have to deal with the homeless in their neighborhood? They don't. Yeah, right? Right. It, it, or in Silicon Valley. Or in Brentwood. Or like, it's, it's all the nicest areas. They don't care. right? For them, it's a way of saying, look how compassionate I am. I'm not, taking, I'm not criminalizing poverty. No yeah. one's talking about criminalizing poverty. It is a criminal act to live on a public street. It is a criminal act to crap in public. It is a criminal act to solicit or engage in sex in public areas. Right. The DA in San Francisco says none of these are criminal acts anymore. How in the world? Like, I, I think, frankly, that if Adam Carolla ran for governor of the state of California on this platform, I think he would win. Uh, no, you know, you know the, the, the key to, to framing this is this is how they always, they say, you people are 
anti-poverty. Well, I mean, I guess I am anti-poverty, but they'll say you're anti-poor I would like people. less poverty, yes. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. They'll say you're, you're criminalizing poverty and you're somehow a sort of bigot for this anyway. The lie of this, the lie that they push is that it's compassionate to let people live on the street. The lie is that it's compassionate to let people who have psycho psychological issues, who have addictions, who have a lot of problems, live on the street in very dangerous areas in squalor. There's By the way, nothing compassionate. You, you want to keep people in poverty. There's no better way to keep somebody in poverty than to let them live on the street, leave their crap there, and tell them that this is their new home. And, okay, that, that, is, you know, that is the, the definition the, of the leaving thing, somebody the, in poverty. The other thing that is horrific, it's absolutely horrific, is if you now go to the L.A. County Jail, I write about this in Another Kingdom, which, you know, is that it, when you go, it is now a mental institution. Yep, yep. So they're taking people who are mentally ill, and I'm sure we've all had experience with mental illness, it's a horror, and they're putting them in prison. Because why? Because once right. they commit a crime, where are you going to put them? you got to put them somewhere, right? So yep. now you've got these guys who don't even know what reality is behind bars and terrible... Well, because situations. the regulations on mental illness in this state are awful. Let, if, yeah. you are, if you are mentally ill, like th this was exactly the case. Did, you saw this case that the New York Post reported on where somebody in the middle of Hollywood Boulevard, right, a homeless man in the yes. middle of Hollywood Boulevard yeah, took yeah. a bucket of hot feces, yes. pulled a woman out of her car and poured the bucket of hot feces over her head. Obviously a mentally ill person. So the person goes to court and sentenced to basically an outpatient mental mm -hmm. illness facility. They do six months there. They're released. They're back on the street. right? And, and so the problem is that for a, huge, for a large percentage of people who are severely mentally ill, such that they are dangerous to themselves and others, we shouldn't blanket all mental illness. We all know people who are perfectly functional who suffer yeah, from course. some sort of mental illness, obviously. So just for clarity's sake. But there are people who are dangerous to themselves, dangerous to others. And the regulations basically say that you can keep them on a 24-hour or a 72-hour hold, right. and then you have to release them back into society even if they require the medication. And if they refuse to take the medication, you cannot put them in a place to force them to take That's the right. medication. So you have people who are fully paranoid schizophrenic who don't know what reality looks like yeah. saying I won't take my pills and the ACLU saying he doesn't have to take his pills. And if you make way, him take your pills, he's a, he's a fascist. Th this is all based on a study from the 1970s that was just debunked that, that led to the closing of so many yeah. of these And all uh, their leftist theories. You know, 20 years ago, it, it's almost 20 years ago, I was researching detective novels set in San Francisco and I went up to talk to the police and I spent the day with a couple of detectives and they said to us, they said to me, this is like, so it's 18 years ago, so they said to me, they will not let us treat people who are sick. They will not let us take them yeah. off the street, and it's going to get bad. <laughs> this is 18 years. And, yeah. of course, the police always know what's going to happen because they're dealing with the detritus of the things that we create, that the, the, the higher-ups create. I mean, this and is it's one terrible of the, to watch this stuff. If, if you had a Republican in this state who ran on two propositions, you don't get to live on the street, and we are going to add additional funds for the actual building of mental right. institutions right. and check and change the regulations to allow for involuntary commitment of people who are actively dangerous to yeah. themselves or others, yeah. they'd win the governorship. Well, speaking of the horrors of mental illness, if you're enjoying this program <laughs> and you would like to keep this, con this conversation That's going. That's the worst segue ever. But If you're a Daily Wire insider, you probably know that we have the new discussion feature in our brand new dailywire.com mobile application, as the kids call it these days. Uh, we're going to, as soon as the show is over today, continue answering questions from our dailywire.com uh, insiders over at uh, the Daily Wire app or the Daily Wire website. All you have to do is go become an uh, insider, become a member of our uh, Daily Wire community, and you can join the discussion. One of the things that I like about the discussion feature, it allows us to answer a lot more questions because we're typing than we get to do when we're kind of kicking ideas back and forth. So we're going to be able to get through just a ton of your questions tonight immediately following the show. If you're not a Daily Wire insider, now's the time. Head over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. 
I'm sorry, you have to be an all-access member. Uh, head over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Give us the promo code WARRANTEERS when you become an all-access <laughs> member, and we will give you 20% off of the price of admission. Uh, but before that happens, we're going to keep answering a few questions here from the people who are watching and phoning them in to Elisha. All right, next question wants to know about Trump impeachment. She says that she doesn't think Trump will likely be impeached, but in that unlikely event, would Mike Pence automatically become the Republican nominee in 2020? And do you think that Pence has what it takes to win the presidency? Well, first, I think that our beloved subscriber is wrong. I think Donald Trump will certainly be impeached. Uh, but, but, not it, but it's a bit of a technicality because I think what she really means is that he won't be convicted in the Senate and removed from office. Impeachment happens in the House, and it's, it's a political process. They have the numbers. I think that they're boxed in by their own electoral, uh, by their own rhetoric going into the 2020 election. I don't think the Democrats have any choice but to impeach Donald Trump, and they will do. Will he be convicted in the Senate and removed from office? Of course, that's not going to happen unless they actually do find uh, that breaking... Uh, smoking gun. Something, yeah. just a little historical point <laughs> that people don't know, because we've had much more impeachment in recent years. No president in American history has ever been impeached, convicted in the Senate, and removed from office. It's never happened. Even Andrew Johnson. Andrew Johnson was acquitted in the right. Senate. Ah, yeah. I didn't remember that. And, and no one's ever been uh, impeached in his first term because they just figure you can go to the electorate, but the Democrats can't do that. Well, Donald Trump's about to be the lo 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 yeah. he, And listen, they'll probably go on, uh, he'll, he'll put up on his wall, First impeachment ever. Probably will. It was the greatest There'll be pictures impeachment. of it. <laughs> yeah, it was the best impeachment. Everybody said so. But if if they actually find that missing a uh, phone call of Donald Trump asking Vladimir Putin <laughs> to build hotels for him all around the world while uh, giving all of his political opponents polonium poisoning, then yes, Mike Pence would automatically become the next president of the United States. He'd be sworn in, but even before uh, even before there was an official swearing-in ceremony, he would he would in the same way that the president becomes the president-elect, he would be the he would be the de facto acting president. Then they'd have a swearing-in. But, but do you think he could win the next term? I think was the question. Do you think he could win? Again? No, I think the question was would he automatically. No, then it was then it was would he win? And the uh, answer is no. no because then under not. the circumstance where Trump is actually convicted and removed from office, the evidence would have to be so overwhelming that it would completely damn the Republicans. Yeah. And, 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 I, I and everybody who voted for Trump. Uh, the Republican electorate would feel like their own senators uh, had betrayed them in removing them from office. It would be a total what, what, do you, what do you think the odds are of uh, Trump dumping Pence for Nikki Haley? No. Zero. Zero? A chance, yeah. I don't think that's what Haley's doing. I don't think it is either, but I, but I wonder. If, I think it's like 3%. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, tend to agree. No, I, I think I, it's I, overwhelming. I actually think yeah. it's a little higher than that, but, yeah. I, but I don't think it's going to happen. No. Yep. Alicia, what else you got for us? I think I might know the answer to this, but it'll be interesting to get everyone's opinion. Uh, our next subscriber wants to know, which current Democratic candidate is your least favorite and why? <laughs> oh, there's so many to choose from. There's so many to choose from. I think from. we each I mean, have we, to give an answer to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Andrew, okay. start with you. I, I, well, you know, I have to say that even though Bernie Sanders actually gets uh, stars for me for being sincere, to be a sincere communist is not actually a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And this guy, not only has he done nothing his entire life, but he has ascribed with, uh, loyally to a policy that has been, failed again and again in front of him, and he has not changed at all. I mean, he's visited Cuba. He's visited the Soviet Union. He sang, I was joking on my show that he sang this, he went to the Soviet Union and sang, this land is your land, this land is my land, and so is Poland. And, <laughs> you know, because, because I, I, I think there is something you know, I'm, it's not evil. It's something fundamentally wrong, and, and maybe wicked is the right word, to keep uh, being attached 
to a philosophy that has done so much terrible damage in this world. And he's not a socialist, he's a communist. Of course. And, and he, has, uh, he has basically shown loyalty to communist regimes in every country where they've arisen. And it, it doesn't matter to him that the people die. He's obviously living in a theoretical universe. I think there's something wrong with the guy. And so- By the if, way, the proof of your contention is that he's endorsed by Linda Sarsour and El Delmar, right? <laughs> there you go, right. there you go. And he's I the just, wrongest. I, I, think, I think that he is, he is the worst as an actual real-life human being in the world. Yeah. Michael. Pete Buttigieg is my least favorite. I can't stand him. He is <laughs> such an obvious jerk. At least Bernie Sanders is honest about what he believes. Yeah. Elizabeth Warren is not honest about, about many things, but she's always been a left-winger, at least, you could say, not as nearly as radical as she is now. Uh, Julian Castro is hilarious in his <laughs> radicalism. I get a huge kick out of his candidacy. Yeah. Only Pete Buttigieg blows in the wind. So one day he's the moderate candidate trying to get Biden's votes. The next day he's this radical trying to get the, the Bernie votes. And he's so incredibly judgmental. He's so incredibly <laughs> moralizing. The, the Pastor Pete crap is Pastor unbelievable. Is, it's so, his, it's his whole candidacy is about telling Christians that they're not really Christians and telling, you know. Tell uh, me more, a Captain Abortion on Man. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's so outrageous and disingenuous. He drives me up a wall. Okay. I have to because it's true. Elizabeth Warren is the worst, okay? <laughs> Elizabeth Warren, also, I have a personal stake in Elizabeth Warren being the worst, meaning she's the only one of these candidates I've ever actually met. I just don't right? like I, 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 I met, I, I, you know, when I was having lunch in Santa Monica with Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> no, but, but I actually have met Elizabeth Warren, and there was a point in time where Elizabeth Warren was an actual interesting human being. Like back in 2004, when she was recruiting for Harvard Law School, it was right after she'd written The Two-Income Trap, and obviously she was a committed leftist. I mean, there was no question she was a committed leftist. The first conversation, the only conversation I ever had with her, she started ripping on Rush Limbaugh like right away. But she was actually, she had some kind of interesting ideas. Uh, she was in favor of school choice at that point. If there's one thing that I can't stand, I think the vast majority of Americans cannot stand, you've cited Sanders's sincerity as both an asset and as, <laughs> and as a detriment. She is the least sincere candidate in this race, and it is not close because she does not believe a single thing that she is saying right now. Every story that she has ever told, apparently, is a shading of the truth at best, from I'm the first lactating mother to sit for the New Jersey bar, which is obvious nonsense, to I was fired for being pregnant, which is also apparently nonsense, to I'm a Native American because I have high cheekbones and I write a recipe that I crib from like Harper's Bazaar for Pow Wow Chow. Two, I am now in favor of getting rid of, of, I'm getting, I hate charter schools. They need to go. They need to be abolished. She was for school choice five seconds ago, right? She, I, I love free markets, but billionaires should not exist, right? Billionaires' tears, I, I will drink them. <laughs> she's just, she's so utterly dishonest. And the cynicism of somebody who's not yeah. even, you can't even blame her, her embrace of immoral positions on stupidity. Like Sanders, you can blame it on the fact that he's a delusional old coot and he's been delusional his entire life. This is not delusion. This is calculated. And when you are a calculated advocate for positions you don't even believe, but you are willing to make the country worse in order to achieve your own personal power, I think this makes you the worst person in the race. Well, I was going to say Pete Buttigieg, but since Michael already did, I'll just give you guys the process by which I arrived at the people that I hate. <laughs> uh, in the beginning, I hated Kamala Harris the most because she's the one that I actually fear. Mm. Like, I don't fear Bernie Sanders because I think he'd be so ineffectual at being president because communists are terrible at everything and Bernie's never accomplished a damn thing in his entire life. And uh, and Elizabeth Warren, I actually think that she certainly poses as a major leftist right now and everything you say, Ben, about how insincere and dishonest she is, of course, is true. But I actually suspect that if she were to be elected president, uh, she would not functionally be the radical that she presents as right now. I think that's all 
calculated. It would still be terrible, but it would not be what it what it appears to be today. Kamala Harris scared me because she openly talks about just putting people who disagree with her in jail. Yeah. And, she's, and she got a lot of experience in putting people in jail. And the guys who run her ca campaign go on Twitter all the time and say, that wouldn't, we wouldn't stand for that if Kamala Harris was president. We'd lock all of you up. And I think, well, that's actual fascism. Uh, I, I don't think that's good. But then I realized she didn't stand a chance of winning and she wasn't affecting the national conversation in any way. And at that point, I moved to Buttigieg, but a close second for me is Beto. And the reason is, Race demagoguery is the worst thing for this country. I said before that I think it's unfair to say that America's original sin is slavery and not Great Britain's just because there's a 20-year gap 150 years ago. Nevertheless, race is functionally the most detrimental thing to the culture of America. It's, a, it's, a, it's the thing that rips us apart the most, that's leveraged by the left in order to rip us apart, apart the most. And what, what I hate about Beto O'Rourke, is that when he was down and he should have been out, instead of recognizing that he didn't stand a chance, he picked up the race issue and the guns issue and demagogued in a way that... And that the religious I, liberty issue, right? The religious yeah. liberty issue. And he, and he basically reinforced all of the worst uh, arguments against American liberty that exist. And for that, I think uh, there's a special place in... <laughs> I mean, I guess Arizona. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. He'll be eating dirt He'll forever eating dirt there. Forever. Yeah. Eternal Arizona fire. Alicia, we're going to take at least one more question. They told me never to say this is the last question because people may tune out. But I'm just going to tell you guys I'm leaning very heavily to not taking any questions. <laughs> so that means I can go after this? Hooray. All right. If the 2020 candidates have their way and make college free, the, I'm, I'm assuming she means the Democratic 2020 candidates, do you think that we will see dramatic drop-off in the quality of American education? <laughs> no. But, but there's, no, there's no room. Where would they go if they were going to drop off? Yeah. We actually had an argument this very week, Michael yeah, we and Drew and I sitting in my office, about the state of the academy. And the argument was, we think it's terrible, and you think it's really, really, really terrible. <laughs> no, it wasn't even that. We all think it's terrible. Yeah. yeah. I think that it's irredeemable, yeah. and that we need to raise the institution and start over. I think that it's a, you know, it's an 18th century model trying to be applied to 21st century reality at best anyway. Um, I, I don't think it can get much worse. I think if you're a conservative parent, if your child was speaking six languages by the time that they were seven, if your child in elementary school was asking you how to pronounce words in Shakespeare. That's, that's me. You're talking uh, to me. That is your kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then you probably need to send them to an elite university. Similarly, if your kid has a knack for the law, if your kid wants to be uh, uh, a doctor, if your kid wants to be uh, an engineer, you probably got to send them to college. I would think about, in, in the latter case, not sending them to get a liberal arts education, but just to be uh, a bachelor's of science. Anybody else, if you're a conservative and you send your child to college, I think you are willfully naive about the reality of what it is. It is a Soviet-style re-education camp. They intend and they succeed at re-educating your child away from every value you tried to instill in them, and you pay them for the pleasure. They don't want to make it free because it will help your kids get a job from a billionaire, an evil billionaire. They want it to be free so that they can, so that they can brainwash every one of our children and... We should oppose it. We shouldn't send our kids to it. It can't get much worse. It's pretty freaking bad. If you're still watching, go over to dailywire.com. Become an all-access subscriber. War in Tears is the promo code to get 20% off. We're going to keep the discussion 
happening over on our new discussion app on the website and on the dailywire.com app. But before we go, there is one thing that I think we have to talk about very briefly. We're going to spend a few minutes on this, and that is our friends Adam Carolla and our friend Dennis Prager are in the, in the process right now, as we speak today, of releasing their fantastic documentary, No Safe Spaces. It's in limited release uh, today. A few, uh, I think Ben and Michael and Drew were able to go to the premiere uh, uh, this week. I'm not welcome on red carpet, so <laughs> I wasn't able, wasn't able to be there, but I have seen the film. It's absolutely fantastic. A huge piece of the film uh, tracks Ben's uh, arrival at Berkeley to the $600,000 worth of police, <laughs> police protection that he, that he needed uh, at the heart of free speech in America, Berkeley University. It's a fantastic film. I want, I want to get all of your opinions, but I, I do want to say, if you're watching this, you're in Southern California, I know it's playing in Burbank this weekend. That's not the only place. You should check the listings. If it's playing near you, I'll say this is an important film. It's a fantastic film produced by our friend Owen Brennan and directed by our friend Justin Folk, who's a genuine talent. I hate to say it. Almost everything we do, we stole from Justin <laughs> several years ago. And the only way that films like this get made is if we're able to convince high net worth individuals and distributors that there is an audience for it. So if, if you want to, listen, it's not an act of charity. It's a great film. You'll learn an awful lot from it. You'll see the reality of how bad things are on our campus. In fact, if you're one of those conservative parents thinking, how bad can the schools go watch No Safe Spaces <laughs> so that you'll know just how absurd the question already is. But while it's not an act of charity, it is an act of um, good. Support. good. Support. It's an act of support uh, to reach out to the talented people who do try to make this content to get our values out into the entertainment marketplace. It only happens if you support these films. Please go see No Safe Spaces. You guys probably have some things. To I, I, I got. I have to say this one personal note. Yes. You know, you talk about Owen Brennan, who started Madison McQueen, which is the producer of this film, and you talk about Justin Folk, who directed it. Those guys were key to PJTV, which was a forerunner yep. of the Daily Wire. Justin Folk directed my Clavin on the Culture of Things, which is how I got started in this in this business. And I used to sit and watch him take my words and turn them into these artistic uh, two-minute videos. Uh, and, and I just I just used to shake my head, and they were brilliant. And I'm so I really am so proud of the job he did in putting together, you know, because documentaries can be boring or can they, they can be interesting. And this is made interesting by the way he put it together. Owen uh, ran the newsroom of the day, of the uh, of PGA TV, made it what it was at its best. Uh, and these two guys have gone on to really great things. And I, I got to say, I was sitting in the theater and I was just thinking, I made these people. I made I, them. I, I, no, I, no, I really I was thinking I just I'm so proud of what they've done. And it is a, it's a good film. I. I went there and I told Owen and Justin that I would have lied to their faces and said it was a good movie even if it wasn't. But I, I wouldn't have lied to everybody else. It, I was uh, really impressed even in the kind of content that, look, I go to these college campuses. I've been attacked on these college campuses. I've seen it. I didn't think there was anything new I could see in this movie. And some of the stuff that is in that movie... I was shocked by. I actually hadn't yeah. seen it before. And the the creativity in the movie, I mean, there are these whole, I don't, I don't want to ruin the movie. There are these whole sequences, though, that are just laugh out loud, drop down funny. Hilarious. And my favorite part about it, there's a little Easter egg appearance of me in the movie. See if you can <laughs> and, find and, it. And my name is at the end, and they spelled it wrong. K-L-A-V-E-N. <laughs> every people day, who, I tell People who produce all of your original <laughs> yeah, that's right. your name. Uh, I also have an Easter egg appearance uh, in the film. So be watching for Michael Knowles and the God King uh, <laughs> while you're actually just tuning in to see Adam Carolla and Dennis Prager. <laughs> I mean, so never mind the fact that 
I mean, it has Jeremy in it briefly, and it has Knowles <laughs> in it briefly, and is made by the people who made Clavin. All of those are, I mean, see the film in spite of those things. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the fact is that it is a brilliant film about brave, beautiful people. <laughs> and I highly recommend it. And as we all know, I mean, the fact is that if you enjoy shows that feature me but have others in them, <laughs> then you should probably enjoy No Safe Space. I will say... I will say there are several laugh out loud moments yep. in those safe spaces, yeah. and and I think that the flashback to young Dennis and young Adam yeah. is it's, just no, unbelievable. That's great they did such a good job with your segment, Ben. It is yeah. so funny the way that they juxtapose five foot nine Ben Shapiro <laughs> checking oh, yeah. his phone, going through airport <laughs> security with like the SWAT team flying over him. It's it's fantastic. It's highly creative. Again, no safe spaces. Check it out. If there was a promo code, I'd give it to you. There isn't. You're just going to have to spend your uh, money, and it will be worth it to you. It's a fantastic film. So thanks again to everybody for tuning in. If you're a Daily Wire All Access member, uh, come over and keep the discussion going with us at the website or on the mobile app. If you're not, it isn't too late. Warren Tears is the promo code for 20% off, and we will see you next time on Daily Wire Backstage. Hey, you guys want to have a fake laugh? Yeah! <laughs> Daily Wire Backstage is produced by Robert Sterling, directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, me. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer is Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup by Jess Olvera. Segment producer, Rebecca Dobkowitz. The Daily Wire Backstage is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019.